0: What's going on, coaches? Spring ball is coming up for everyone uh, that's not in actual season right now. So, uh, hopefully, you are coaching some football right now, whether you're in season uh, or you are getting ready for spring ball in certain states. Uh, Hopefully, we are here to help you guys with whatever you need, obviously, uh, with these podcast episodes as well as through RTP Premium, where we bring a lot of different series, a bunch of different videos to you guys, um, and break down different things uh, and try to help you guys out and try to help learn ourselves. So uh, you guys can find everything that we're doing over at runthepower.com. This episode of the podcast is brought to you by Legend Rings. As coaches, we all know the best way to represent our big win is with the championship ring. And the team at Legend Rings wants to help you celebrate your regional and state championship title this season. Their goal is to make your championship ring purchase simple, easy, and affordable from design to delivery. Check them out at LegendRings.com or email info at LegendRings.com to get started. Let them know that Run the Power sent you and they will make your ring for free. Again, go check them out at LegendRings.com. This episode of the RTP Podcast is brought to you by our guys over at Just Play. The team at Just Play hooked us up with their product, as you guys know, uh, and it's been a game changer for us, if you've seen us on Twitter or uh, have talked to us about this at all. We obviously especially love the playbook tools that allow us to create our favorite blocking schemes, as you guys know, power, counter, inside zone, pin and pull, uh, and formations, so we can save time and be more productive. That's the biggest part. Saves time on defenses, saves time on, on inputting offensive uh, formations, and then easy to draw the play out. Just play is a limited time offer for RTP listeners only. Get My Just Play Pro for $120, which is an unbelievable $60 off the normal list price. Uh, this offer has been extended uh, and won't last forever. You can get this deal at JustPlaySolutions.com slash RTP. The best playbook tool on the market at JustPlaySolutions.com slash RTP. Don't wait. Go do it today. This episode of the podcast is also brought to you by Team Builder. Team Builder provides strength and conditioning software to high schools around the country. Whether you write your own programs, have a full-time strength coach, or need training programs, TeamBuilder can make your program better. Right now, TeamBuilder is offering a 10-week off-season football training program with a two-a-day speed and agility program. This template even comes with videos from some of the top SEC strength coaches that will show you how to run your weight room. Visit their website and enter the code RTP to get the off-season football training template and start your 14-day completely free trial at TeamBuilder.com. Again, enter code RTP at TeamBuilder.com, which is team. B-U-I-L-D-R.com. On this episode of RTP, brought to you by Legend Rings, we talk with Richard Holzer. Coach Holzer is the head coach at Northern High School in Owings, Maryland. Listen as we talk with Coach Holzer about the great success he has had in uh, building public and private high school programs from the ground up. We also talk about trick plays, backed up offensive philosophy, and some Kyle Flood influence on the OL. You can follow Coach Holzer on Twitter at Coach Rich Holzer. Hope you guys enjoy.
1: So my, my uh, whole fascination with football began uh, probably <clears throat> when I was like five or six years old because my dad was a coach. Um, you know, he coached, um, you know, college. Um, you know he was an area scout for a while um and he was a high school athletic director and high school football coach when i was young um so i was his water boy and team manager you know running the balls in and out back in the you know 80s and the in the 80s when you know the late 80s when he was coaching and stuff like that so you know i was drawing plays up on on uh, napkins and stuff like that while I was sitting with my dad and the rest of his coaches eating pizza and breaking down film um so that was, uh, that's how I got interested. And then I played at uh, Archbishop Stepanak High School up in uh, White Plains, New York, kind of near the Hudson Valley. Uh, went from there, uh, did pretty well, had a couple of offers coming out of school and decided to go play for my dad's buddy down at Hofstra University. Um, did really well there, was two-time all, I guess it was, it was Atlantic 10 my senior year, but it was a different conference my junior year. And um, you know, went and had a cup of coffee, like kicking around as a rookie free agent in the NFL. And then from there, um, went back to Hofstra as a graduate assistant, um, and, um, got to coach there with like Warren Ruggiero, um, and a bunch of really good coaches, Joe Woods. And, um, and then from there went down into the high school ranks, um, and at Westlake High School with, uh, Dom Zaccarelli, who, um, was an outstanding um, outstanding and, you know, just a man, outstanding man and great to learn from. He, uh, unfortunately, uh, passed last week. Um, and, uh, from there, I took my first head coaching job at Parkdale High School. Um, you know, we got them turned around. I showed up, there was, uh, 21 kids and no footballs. So that was a challenge. Uh, it's right outside of DC. Um, and then went over to Meade High School and we took them to a, a couple state semifinals and then up to Mount St. Joe, where we. Uh, took over and uh, got him to, I think we're, you know, as high as number 15 in the nation, but we won the, um, the, Arver- we won the Catholic, the Catholic school championship in Baltimore for the first time since 1949 at the school. Um, and then uh, now I'm at Northern high school. Um, I live uh, down in uh, Calvert County, Maryland, which is about uh, probably 20 minutes, 25 minutes South of Annapolis. If people know where that is.
0: Well, that's awesome coach. So, so, you know, it's it's cool to hear, you know, your story a little bit because you know me and coach Walls, both of our dads uh were football coaches as well and and you know you kind of talk about wanting to do it as a 5 6 year old uh that's kind of the the same same story that we've told on here for however many episodes, you know, that's how we were brought up in. We were we were around football since since we can remember and and uh we're we're coaches kids and and it was um you know it was the best way that I could ever hope to have been brought up, uh, you know, kind of around football and, and was something that I was never really, uh, someone that had no clue what I was going to do with my life. I, I kind of always had that, that want to go be a football coach.
1: Yeah, no doubt. Um, yeah, I mean, it, it football has been such a huge part of my life. Um, you know, my first time ever listening to music was my dad's players. You know, I was listening to the old Van Halen song, you know, um, you know, um, eruption the, back then, and, um, you know, I'm sure some people don't even know what that is, but that that came out when I was born in 1978, and those guys were listening to it, and my, that was my first cassette tape. That shows, you know, I'm in my 40s, so 42, um, but, you know, all the way through, and then to, you know, being, you know, being on the middle school football team, and my dad's out there coaching, and I'm playing for my dad's teams, and you know, all the seniors are yelling at me as I'm running laps around the field, telling me to pick it up and go faster and <laughs> get me back for all the times I'd steal their shoes and hide them in lockers when i was the when I was the manager. and um you know, it was just great. Like uh, I guess you guys know this being a coach's son, you just you get an understanding of the game so early in life that it makes a in my opinion, it makes a lot of things a lot easier to understand when you're um when you're coaching. and but by the same token, you also have to remember that you know, you've been around this since you could walk and some people just, you know, fell in love with the game in high school. So, you know, you got, you got to remember that, you know, you, you've had different experiences. And sometimes, you know, for me, at least I got to slow things down. Cause I'm like thinking like eight, eight steps forward. And I'm like, Oh wait, I got to back it off.
2: Coach man. Yeah. It, it definitely brings me back. You know, you tell the those same stories. I I got a ton of those too, you know, from riding on the bus and, and how many times, like you said, the, the kids get you back when, when my dad was coaching, but you know, <laughs> I think you, you, you always kind of take that away and and it sounds like, you know, you've obviously gone to different programs, you know, maybe it's looking for the new challenge or maybe it's, you know, I want to, I want to help out, you know, this program, but every place you've gone, you've kind of built it up and and win. And I have to imagine that, you know, kind of thinking back to, you know, the reason you got into this was about kids and about building programs. And I think, you know, kind of, once you get to the top, I'm always intrigued listening to, to head coaches, you know, Hey man, you know, I've, I've done it at this program, I've done it at that program, I wanna go do it at a new program. Can you talk a little bit about maybe that kind of mindset and then also, you know, what are some of the keys that you've kind of done to, you know, go to some of these places? And maybe it's not like a turnaround job, but, you know, kind of taking them to that next level.
1: Sure, yeah. Um, I left college coaching because, you know, I was a graduate assistant, so, you know, you don't get paid any money. Um, and I'd go to the convention, I went to, I was, I would go to the convention. My dad would say, just be patient, you know, talk to people, you know, he'd give me names of his friends to go track down. And my father-in-law played at the Naval Academy. So he'd give me names of guys like Tom O'Brien and stuff like that. And I still remember I ran up to Tom O'Brien when he was walking out the door with his wife. And I I said, coach, coach. And he turned around and looked at me. with like, the stare. Like I'm going out to dinner with my wife. What are you doing? I said, Hey, uh, Jim Garvin told me to say hi. You know, and it kind of immediately, was like, oh, what's Jimmy up to? You know, so well, I realized that, you know, I made a lot of great connections and met a lot of awesome people. But I was getting impatient. So I went down to high school for a full time paying job. And I was an assistant. I was the defensive coordinator. Um, coach Zacharelli was smart. He knew I was a big time offensive guy. He said, if you want to be a head coach, you need to learn both sides of the ball. And, uh, you know, it was probably one of the better things anybody's ever told me. So I learned defense, <clears throat> coached with him, and then I got, you know, obviously the head coaching opportunity at a school that needed complete turnaround. There was only, um, you know, I walked into the gym and there was 21 kids sitting there. I said, okay, when's the JV coming in? And they said, no, nah, this is it. And I was like, you know, okay. And the first time we went out to throw the football around, I went to the athletic director. I said, Hey, where are the footballs? And he goes, you know, I don't think we have any. And I was, you know, it was another like, Holy cow. I can't believe this. Um, So, you know, we got them straight. We ended up six and four, just missing the playoffs. And um, um, an athletic director who I was friends with previously had just um, lost his head coach at Meade High School up on Fort Meade on base. And it was a bigger school, um, you know, more money. It had been very successful in the 90s under Jerry Hartman, who had coached for Don James and stuff like that when he was coaching in college. So I, I viewed it as an opportunity to move up to the highest level of public school football in Maryland, and then be able to, you know, get this program right uh, back on track that hadn't been on track since probably 1999. And we did, we we're doing real well. And then in our area, the, the private schools are just um, like operating a small college team. And at that point, I only had my one son who was real little. He's still three years old, I think. Um, and I was like, you know, eager for the next challenge, you know, to prove myself as a coach. So uh, Mount St. Joseph opened up, they gave me the job. Awesome school, Um, just a special place um, where, you know, the kids are phenomenal, the people are great, but they had hadn't had a lot of success in football. The wrestling team was outstanding. The basketball team, you know, um, uh, uh, Sticks, who just got drafted by the Phoenix Suns, came out of there. know so they had some really good sports programs but football was lagging behind we got in there and went eight and three the first year um, and never looked back until finally we took the um the championship this uh in 2019 and at that point i was just in a different place in life i was um we had moved and down to calvert uh, calvert county which is about an hour and a half from mount st joseph um you know my kids were getting older and they were getting into sports and um you know, the private school game up in DC and Baltimore involves a lot of recruiting. And it's, it's like uh, different levels of recruiting. Cause everyone goes out to beat in the same bushes, but some schools give scholarships. Some don't, we were the school that didn't. Oh, so, you know, I spent a lot of time convincing kids to come to the school and pay full tuition. Um, You know, whereas, you know, some other schools would come up and they'd pay a thousand dollars or $2,000 to go to school for the, Um and it just, you know, I had different priorities. It seemed like, you know, my family was more important at that point. And, um, the drive was making it prohibitive for me to be around, to watch my sons wrestle play baseball and stuff like that. So the school literally 10, 10 minutes down the road and a mile from my son's elementary school opened up and, um, I just jumped at it, you know, so to be around family more and they're a great school too. You know, they're, um, Steve Crowtz actually me and him basically traded places. He went over to Damatha to be the offensive coordinator. And I came down to the Northern to take over for him. And the, <clears throat> I'm taking over a different opportunity now. It's a solid program with great kids, a really great coaching staff in place. So it's really for me for this one, it was just like, it was more about a quality of life for my family and everything like that. Just having dad around more um, and, you know, being able to, you know, school lets out at 2.30, I'm gonna run over to the elementary school, pick the boys up real quick and bring them to practice and they can hang around and practice with me kind of like it was with my father, so. um, But I think the overall theme that I would say is from the time I was at Parkdale, which is an inner city school, you know, showing up with flip flops, cut off t-shirt and a backwards hat and Costa sunglasses, you know, I was just always myself Um, and, and that's what those kids always, the kids that played for me always said is, you know, coach was just himself. And I think, you know, one thing that you hear sometimes from coaches is just be yourself because kids can see through all that stuff when you try to be someone you're not. And they respect you for it. You know, if you're consistent, if you're yourself and you're kind of like, this is me. And and you introduce them to your family and, you know, have your family around and, and make things about, like you said, about the kid and the kids will trust you and they'll buy into it. It doesn't matter who you are, you know, as long as they know you're authentic.
0: Coach, so when, when you take over a program, what are some of those things that you're looking at in the program to look to change or to look to keep the same? Or, or what are some of those big things that you are looking at, you know, one way or the other that you want to make sure and, and dissect and look at uh, when you do take over a program so you can get that team either to continue to win or flipped around to start winning?
1: yeah I think it's accountability. I think in the teams that um that I've taken over that weren't winning it was it was a c- it was uh a couple things. number one was accountability um and accountability doesn't mean you have to be you know like the the guy that's yelling and screaming all the time, but you see you have a set of rules, you follow' them. um I've always found that you have a line, you know, but you know there's gonna be certain kids, especially with some of the schools I was at where you know um I had a kid named. Leon Brown, who played for Coach Saban down at Alabama. And, um, you know, when I got to the school, he wasn't playing football. You know, I saw him he's like six foot six and I'm like, who are you? And he's, you know, you know, tells me his name. I'm like, why don't you play football? He's like, I don't know. And I'm like, well, you do now, come with me. And, you know, walked him down to the weight room and that was that. But, you know, there's one day I'm driving, drive if driving uh, to a dentist appointment and I see him skipping school, you know, and I pull over. Uh, what are you doing? And he tells me, I don't know. And I said, Get in the car, and I drove him back to school. Now, if I followed my rules that I had written down, then you know I would have suspended him for you know at least at least one game, if not two. But I also know his family situation and um, know what he was going through. So we had a long talk, and he had uh, you know field cleanup. He had what we called party crew, um, where he had to run through the run through the woods following a gator, you know, for a decent amount of time, and You know, I think that's the one thing is just bringing accountability, but also bringing um, some understanding that every kid is going through different things at home and you really need to get to know your players Uh, for them. You know, besides being yourself, you really need to get to know your players and know what what's going on at home. You know, where are they coming from? What's their background? You know, what are they dealing with? What are they trying to overcome? Um, You know, what, you know, in the future, what my sons are going to have to deal with, you know uh, is much different than what some other kids will deal with you know they uh, you know if I was their coach, I'd hold them to a much higher standard. well, I'd hold them to the standard, and you know whereas some kid who doesn't have any parents at home you know, I might you know have a little more leeway with so I think that was the big thing was just the accountability and we 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 did that by bringing in a points program, and you know we did I stole this from Jeremy Platt out at uh, downey uh, in California, and we adapted it. To, um, to, our, to our school each time. And I've used it every school I've gone to and it's a phenomenal system. And it provides kids points for, you don't take points away from kids. It's a positive system. You're giving them things. You're giving them points for not, you know, for getting A's in class. You're giving them things for no lates. You're giving them things for no detention. You know, and it's, it can be time intensive calculating all those points. But if you got a young assistant coach on the staff, you have them help you out. And, you know, we put them in platoons. Um, and we keep track of not only individual points, but platoon points. So they compete against each other and they compete for like, you know, jerseys and pizza parties and all kinds of stuff. So we do things like that, um, that, you know, develop that take those kids that might be borderline kids that you may have to like work with a little bit. And eventually by the time they're juniors and seniors, they kind of are, in my opinion, some of those kids end up being your best leaders and holding kids accountable because they've been there, they've seen it and they they've bought in.
2: I love that aspect of the, you know, obviously developing, you know, some of the leadership skills, but again, you know, putting the ownership on, on the program and, you know, everybody says it, you know, you hear it every single place, player led programs are the ones that, that win, you know, but you you obviously do have to, you know, kind of hold them to that standard. But I think there's so many coaches that do fall into that trap of, you know, it's got to be everything that the coach says, it's got to be done everything this way. When in all actuality, if you can just get the kids to really buy, buy into it, believe who you are. And then all of a sudden they start kind of running the program, you know, coaching really gets pretty easy.
1: It, it does. My, um, my easiest coaching year was 2019. Um, when we won the championship. And, I mean, we had some good players, but what the, the other teams were playing against like St. John's from DC and uh, the council from DC and stuff like that. They all had great players too. I mean, you know, when we lined up and I looked at their two defensive ends coming off the edge, one's going to Ohio state, one's going to Michigan. And my, Right tackle's going to Franklin and Marshall and my left tackle is going on a he's going to play lacrosse at a division three school. I'm like doing a little prayer for our quarterback hoping he's gonna make it to the game. <laughs> so, but um, you know, it's it's um, you know, it really those kids bought in and they really police themselves. I mean, we very rarely had to enter the locker room for anything because nothing ever happened. Um, you know, and by contrast, are um, you know on a positive note the platoon wars—that's what we called the uh, we called the gale wars because it was the Mount Saint Joe gales. So our gale wars was um, extremely competitive. I know I encourage kids to play other sports so to get involved, and in, I actually give them more points for playing another sport than they can get for coming to weight training in the winter in the spring, um, and then I give them additional points for not only going to their practices but also coming in and getting an extra lift in. So they can earn almost double the points that somebody who doesn't play a sport earns. So they, those kids figure it out and they go run track, they wrestle, they play basketball, they play baseball, but those kids did it all themselves. I mean, there were some guys that were like on the fence about playing, a, you know, running track in the spring. And next thing you know, there's five of them talking to them. Like, you need to come out and run track. You need to get faster. You, you know, coach. this is what coach says. You know, you really, as a coach, you step back and you just watch that and you're proud of those kids. and You realize your system's working and the kids are running the show. Um, you know, after practice, our quarterback, Billy Atkins, who's going to James Madison, he'd lead the kids. I We didn't run conditioning after a while because he'd have them out there running running gases or 100-yard 100, 100 sprints, whether we did sprints in practice or not. So by the end of the year, I'm like well, cutting it short and all the coaches were leaving the field and we come back and the kids are coming in 20 minutes later after Billy's done running, running the entire team. So it was, you know, so it was something we started with them as incoming eighth graders. And, um, you know, it was really, really cool to see, it's really cool to see stuff like that pay off and see how they buy in and how they believe in it.
0: Coach, you mentioned, you know, a, a few times, obviously at those private schools you had to recruit, you know, obviously outside, but, it also sounds like, you know, like with your kid that went to Alabama, one of your main priorities is get into your school and, and recruit your school. Um, and so you can have the best athletes at your school actually playing football. What are some things that you tried to do to make football appealing to a basketball player or to a track guy? I mean, football can be, you know, or baseball, you know, it's football is such a different sport than than those three sports. How did you try to – you know, more for your, your team and, you know, your football program into being appealing for those kids to to make those kids want to come out and join so you could have the, your best athletes on the football team?
1: Yeah, I mean, that's a great question. I think, you know, as a young coach, I was all about being in the weight room, you know, you know, you can't miss weight room. And what I've realized as, an assist, as a head coach is that some of my best, a lot of my best players are multi-sport athletes. And, you know, sometime around, I think it was maybe a year, my second year as a head coach or my third year, I realized that, you know, when I had two basketball players show up because they were interested because, they're you know, we were a spread team. We're throwing the ball around. We're doing a little run and shoot and stuff like that. And, um, you know, they got interested watching us play. And I kept, you know, I would show up at basketball practice and be like, guys, we're playing basketball on grass. That's what we're doing. And those two were our best receivers. And then, you know, the light kind of went off in my head. Those kids could do things naturally from playing basketball that some of the football only kids didn't know how to do. So from then on, it was kind of like, okay, well, how do we make this work? And then I got to listen to um, Coach Todd Dodge down in Texas talk, and he kind of piqued my interest about his offseason program and how all of his kids are track kids or playing another sport and how he works around it it makes it work, or all of those kids become, you know, one thing he, that stuck with me was when he was still at Southlake, he said, if you play dragon football, you run dragon track, and I was like, man, that's that's exactly what I'm trying to do, so I really took that to heart from then on in, and um, a, the wrestling coach at Parkdale High School, um, Adam Fortuner, who my kids wrestle for now, um, was, was the head wrestling coach, and he came out and was my head JV coach, and he said, I'm doing this because I need football players, and I was like, I thought to myself, well, I need wrestlers. And that was kind of the start of it. So um, one thing I do, and especially with the basketball and lacrosse kids, because they're getting pulled by the club teams all the time to go to different things. And one thing I always did was I made sure that I was very flexible. You know, um, we were very flexible. I understood that, you know, the more flexible you are initially as the head coach, trying to get that basketball player or lacrosse player to come over and give it a shot, the more likely they're gonna be to do it. And then what you find is is that when you are flexible, they end up playing, they end up having a good time and they end up liking it. And some of those, like we had a player who um, at St. Joe, who was the starting point guard on the basketball team at St. Joe since he was a freshman. And he pulls me aside before the 2019 season and says, coach, I need to talk to you. And I'm thinking, all right, here comes the talk. He's already got basketball scholarships. He's going to quit playing football his last year and focus on basketball. He pulls me aside and he asks me the exact opposite. He said, coach, what do you think if I don't play basketball? And I'm like, whoa, okay. <laughs> um, let's back that up a little bit because co- coach is going to kill me if you don't play. So, um, you know, he's like, yeah, but I want to get better at football. And I'm like, well, we'll figure it out. Just keep playing. You know, it's fine. And, you know, he did and he's, he would, you know, had a great basketball season, had a great football season. I think it's just about being flexible. And also um, being having a great rapport with the other coaches, because sometimes, you know, coaches, you know, when you're fighting over a kid, you get a little standoffish. And sometimes as a football coach, you got to just swallow your pride and, you know, go in and talk to the guy and kind of try to iron things out if there's not a good rapport and try to figure a way forward because otherwise you're going to miss the
2: I love that last point, you know, having that, that communication, you know, and that, and that rapport. And then at the, at, at the same time, you know, you've said it a bunch of times, you're putting that athlete first, you know, and, and whatever, whatever his goals might be, you know, I think when, when he really truly sees, you know, the coach putting his goals first, like, you know, like the, the instance you're talking about, you know, the kid wanting to play football and not playing basketball, you know, putting their, their their wants first, their needs first, their dreams and goals first, you know, everyone always kind of, I think gets, gets worried that, Oh, this kid's going to become selfish. Right. Mm -hmm. I think the opposite happens. I think when they see that, you know, you support them and you want them to reach their goals. Now they almost kind of feel like they owe you and they're going to go that much harder for quote your program as well. That, that goes hand in hand. And I've always said this one as well. When, when those guys are really, really good, I'm a really, really good coach.
1: (laughs) Well, that's, it's so true. Like, I I always kind of lighten up uh, the room when I do a clinic talk in person. And I saw this one play where we had, uh, some people may know him, but um, we had Brian Costable, who was one of the the better lacrosse players in the PLL right now. And he was our quarterback. And, you know, he was a lacrosse player first. So, you know, I didn't do quarterback school with him and stuff like that. It was basically like, you know, he was an athlete, and he's highly intelligent. He'll figure it out. But we ran sprint out to the left. And the defense choked it all off. You know they they contained the quarterback. They they covered the routes real well. And this joker reverses field and goes seventy five yards the other way. And I just turned around. On the, I remember distinctly turning around to um, the quarterback's coach on the sideline, going, "Man, I'm a great play caller." And we all just cracked up laughing. It was like that <laughs> was a totally disaster of a play. And it just made it work.
0: Yeah, that's exactly right. I mean, players over over plays. I mean, and but you know that that. Sounds good until, you know, some, but everyone likes to say that, but doesn't always preach that or don't, don't have that flexibility. Like you said, to get those kids initially out to where they learn to love football, you know, there they've got a line that, and I think it's a hard thing to, to, you know, to toe that line. Like you've already said, I mean, Hey, this is what happens when you do this, but not everybody's in that exact same you know, in that exact same boat, or has the exact same family, and you've got to decide. You know, who has to tow it exactly, and who gets a little bit of leeway, and and how all of that works with your program. And I think that's that would be the tough part. I think as a as a head coach, and and you know, uh, like you said, you want your kids to be at every practice they can, but then you also want your basketball player that that's playing AAU ball. You don't want to say. Because he missed, you know, something in the summer that he can't play because he might be your best athlete on the team. And so there's such a juggling with those two things.
1: Yeah, there is. And, you know, it's 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 not something like you can give a a coach a magic formula and be like, this is how to do it. Um, You have to find your own style. And I think that goes back to being yourself. Um, And I think as a head coach, just like any other profession, you kind of morph over the years. Um, and you know, sometimes when I say that to different coaches that have different styles, they're like, well, I'm going to hold every kid accountable the same way. And that's great. That works for them. You know, this kind this style works for me. Um, you know, we, we really don't have attendance issues. We never, re- we never have attendance issues. We don't have kids coming late. Um, just cause they're, they're bought in, you know, if a kid comes late, usually I don't even have to deal with it. Um, you know, I'll, I'll before I can even get over there, there's going to be the team captains running over there being, you know, why are you late? You know, go run, you know, and I'll just walk back on the practice field and start coaching again. Um, You know, so I think it's, you know, you got to find your sweet spot, basically, as a head coach is like, where's, you know, where, where, where do you feel comfortable, you know, or, and everybody's different. There's another coach down this way in this county who's much different. It's, it's uh, um, that I'm friends with. And I talk to a lot, not this county, I mean, Anne Arundel County He's retired now, but He was very much a, this is the way we do it. I don't want to hear it. You're going to wear, you know, white t-shirt, black shorts, whatever. And I mean, his kids loved him. They bought into it and they were a really, really good football team. So I think everybody does it differently and it's all about personality and style. And I think, you know, you figure that out. Sometimes you figure that out as you go as a coach and, um, you know, you can't force one style over the other. I tried to do what he did for one, one season where I wouldn't let kids in the weight room without the exact specific uniform and I found myself (laughs) filing my own rule on week two so you know I showed up in whatever clothes I had on and the kids are looking at me and I'm like all right I get it I said you know they're giving me the, the look like coach come on this isn't you and I was like yeah you're right so we went back to doing things the way we'd always done it um you know but um you know I think as a head coach it's just about finding your sweet spot and and, you know, letting your personality come through and, and the kids will respond accordingly. Coach,
2: you know, how many times have you kind of had maybe to, you know, you know, talking about your staff now, you know, maybe maybe you have to have kind of the talk with them about, you know, a certain kid or you have to kind of talk them down. It's like, you know, hey, so-and-so is doing this and doing that and you kind of have to talk, well, hey, you know, remember, right, this, the family situation's this, <laughs> the other circumstances that. I mean, I'm imagining you've had to probably – you know talk talk a few of those guys down and, and talk a little bit about you know kind of having to, to manage those things and and really you know you know almost get your coaches to buy into some of that as well.
1: Yeah, I mean, I can remember one distinctly. One of my now best friends, uh John Hawk was um D-line coach up at Mead High School when I got there and the first day of practice, you know, he's active duty army, was infantry and all that stuff and did um, you know, uh, all kinds of stuff, you know, like some of the jumping out airplane stuff. And um he's, you know, very regimented and he comes running out the first day of practice with a giant yellow legal pad. And we've got 110 kids on the field. And I, you know, I know the kids from weight training, but you know, I, I don't know them that well yet. And he's got a list of 25 kids he wants to cut immediately for, for what he knows is behavior issues. And I'm like, look, we're going to give every kid a clean slate and they're either going to buy in or they're going to basically, I said, look, they're going to opt out because they're, they're not going to fit in. And you know we've had to cut we had to cut a couple of people here and there, but I try to not do that. We try to work with them, uh, but it does come to that sometimes, unfortunately, and you hate to see that happen to a you know 16, 17 year old kid. but um you know, um, so it, it 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 has been an issue, you know, it has been uh, at times a little challenge because you know you have coaches who are setting ways of doing things, especially someone like John, who's been so regimented in the military for twenty five years that you know, if a kid is not you know with his toes standing on the line kind of like Friday night lights ready for coach to blow the whistle you know he's losing his mind he can't understand it you know and um, but we find a balance because that's also the coach that me personally I don't want to stay 20 minutes after practice watching kids do punishment assignments you know but that was his thing he loved it you know he he had all the stuff that from the military you know that was acceptable in high school (laughs) that um he would have the kids do you know like bear crawling and stuff like that and you know and that was his thing and the kids the kids loved loved it was always uh like a rite of passage for the kids you know at the end of the year any kid that had never gotten and never had to stay after for um for party crew with coach hawk ended up we did like a you know we'd call their name out and they they did they had to go do like I don't know, five sprints with coach just to sit in. (laughs) So, you know, it was kind of like a joke at the end and have, I mean, the team stayed on the field and they're all cheering as the kids are doing their sprints, all the, you know, the quote unquote, good kids doing their sprint, their five sprints to end up up the year. So it was kind of funny.
0: That is, that's awesome. Yeah. It's, it's, those are things, you know, a lot of those things you remember as as a kid, when you grow up, you you don't always remember every single game, but you remember things like that Um, coach, you kind of, you kind of talked about your offense being, you know, you, like you said, we're kind of, Hey, playing basketball out here, you know, on turf. Is that just the, the offense that you believe in? Um, Is that something that you did to try to get some of the more athletic kids to come out? What, what kind of got you into running that offense and and tell us a little bit about your offense.
1: Well, I got started because I played at Hofstra university, which uh, those people don't remember back in the late nineties, early two thousands. I mean, we were putting up a lot of points. Um, you Know, we were at FCS school, but you know, Marcus Colston came out of there, Willie Colon, um, uh, Lance Schulters, who was all pro for the Niners, uh, Raheem Morris was on, was one of my teammates. Um,
2: did, did Wayne Corbett play there too?
1: Yeah, Wayne Corbett, he was a little older than me, but Wayne Corbett, Dave Fiore played like 10 years of left tackle at the 49ers. Um, so Brian Clark was like a, a legend up in the CFL, so we had a lot of really good football players, and we put a you know. Our offense was very explosive and dynamic, and um, we had got a lot of good young coaches on staff at that time. I was just lucky; I was around guys like Kyle Flood, Dave Brock, um, Dan Quinn was our strength coach and D line coach. Um, I I was around all those types of guys. They were just starting their coaching careers. I got to absorb all that stuff, and then so Rob Spence had come in. Who's um, for those of you who know quarterback play? Rob Spence is like, you know, kind of flies under the radar, but I mean, if you talk to like Brandon Streeter and guys like that, they're like, Coach Spence is the man. Like, if you want to know quarterback play, this guy is the guy. Is the guy. Um, I think he's at Georgetown right now, but he's um, really smart guy, and I got to learn from him. And then Warren Ruggiero came aboard. I got to learn a little from him from him as well. Um, so I really believed in the spread 100%. I believed in um, you know. I even. I kind of always have bounced back and forth between loving what Coach Jones does with the run and shoot and loving what Coach, Coach Leach and Coach Mummy do with the air raid. So I'm always kind of pulled in both directions. But, um, you know, and we, I got a little bit of Coach Dodge's influence in there from watching his clinic tapes and stuff like that. But um, I try to keep it simple, which I know the run and shoot doesn't seem simple. Um, but um, we do run uh, four verticals and divide just like the way the run and shoot does it. But we run shallow cross. Um, you know and mesh um so we've got a little sprinkling of that we run our two-man games that i call them and our three-man games like coach dodge runs so we got a little sprinkling of that stuff um a little bit of influence from everybody and it's just something i've always believed in now i, have, I, I will use a tight end um because in you know, a former offensive lineman you know making people defend extra gaps too and um mm-hmm. using different inserts and stuff like that um is just awesome in the run game. And then the RPOs often are, are outstanding. Um, so, you know, we'll basically tailor the offense to the personnel we have. You know, like this year, well, this year we haven't played that year, 2019, we had some really good wide receivers and we had a FCS caliber quarterback. So we were a lot of four and five wide. You know, prior to that, we had a lot of tight end sets and stuff like that. Um, you know, so we'll basically – every year we'll sit down as a staff and we'll look at what do we have, where are we good, you know, um, where, what do we need to protect, like where do we need to hide, you know, where are we not as good as other teams. And we'll kind of tailor the offense around that um, to make it work. So we have our core set of inside zone, outside zone, power counter, like everybody does. Um, and then in the past game we're going to run our quick throws um, – And we're going to run four verticals and divide. We're going to run smash. We're going to run shallow cross. We're going to run mesh. And then from there, we kind of branch out and see what we do well.
2: Coach, you have a preference then to kind of where you put receivers? Are you one of those guys, you know, I know obviously the air raid kind of puts dudes in set, you know, positions and parameters. Or are you a guy that's like, you know what, we're going to take our best dudes and we're going to move them all over the field and make them learn every
1: spot? I'm not going to lie. This is where I've changed just recently. I used to be just like the run and shoot guys. And just like the air raid guys, it's like, if you're a Z, you're a Z. If you're an X, you're an X. And then um, I give credit to um, some of the guys at St. Joe, um, you know, Mark Lester, my receivers coach and Tony Brock, my quarterback's coach was like, why don't we put him in the slot and get him matched up on a safety? And I'm like, but that's not his position. They're like, who cares? And I said, you know what? <laughs> you're right. Who cares? Like, why am I stuck on this? And then, I was lucky also to have um, Greg Roman on the sideline because his son played for me. And, you know, I'd go over there and bounce off. He'd be like, you know, every time you motion out, you know, they're bumping the corner, which means you're getting uh, Dante or a good receiver matched up, on, matched up on a safety. And I'm like, yeah, you're right. We need to run a slot fade. And, you know, so I kind of like switched um, in 2018 and we started doing a little bit more of getting into like the, the – mat, trying to find matchups in the games as well.
2: I'd imagine you guys probably then see quite a quite a bit of man then in your guys' league.
1: Yeah, the the league I came from was, I mean, we had a very small offensive line comparatively to everybody else. So everyone's answer was, you know, the bigger schools that had the huge linemen, like we we played the McDonough school and we lined up and all our linemen are six foot (laughs) and they've got four division one recruits on the line and they're in a three-two box, you know, playing press man cover two you know, to try to take our pass game away. And our old line coach is like, run the ball, run the ball. And I'm like, all right, okay. And then minus one. And I'm like, they're like, why can't we run the ball? I'm like, because uh, the dude who's going to Ohio State just took the double team and, and tackled <laughs> the running back with the double team. And, you know, it's not the kid's fault. It's just that kid was just a great player. So it was, you know, we can't do that. We got to figure out a way to not run at that guy, you know. So, you know, so we saw a ton of, a ton of press too, um, trust two man we saw uh, a lot of one um, you know so that was something that has come down the come down the pipe the last two three years and we've had to adjust
0: yeah that's it, it's easy as an offensive line coach or, or a guy that looks at run game to get real you know into hey this scheme should really 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 work um, but then you, you look out at the guys that that you're executing it against and if you're not able to block those guys uh, the scheme's not going to work out very well for you
1: yeah, you you know that's that's the fun of being a coach is you just get creative at that point. That's um, right. You know, like our skill kids were better than their skill kids, so you know, what are we doing? You know, let's let's throw screens, <laughs> let's figure out ways to create rubs and picks, and bunch things up and stack things up so that we can pop some of that man coverage loose and and find some space.
0: Coach, you mentioned at the beginning, you know, one of the best things that it was ever done for you is you were made to go coach on the defensive side. What are some things that you that you you know, gathered or you learned from from heading over to the defensive side and coaching that side of the ball. Uh, now, uh, you know, as an offensive guy, what are some things that you learned, you know, from coaching that side of the ball?
1: Well, I think the first thing I learned um, was there there is no perfect play call because I think it was – I can't remember if it was this podcast or a different one I was listening to, and it said that the defense has 33 chances to be wrong every play, you know, when you move them around with motion and stuff like that. And that that's one of the things as a defensive coordinator, you know, you line up. We've got what seems to be the perfect stunt called and they pop it anyway. And It's like, what happened? You know, Brandon, Brandon shot the, you know, went shot the B gap instead of the A gap. So we had two guys in the B gap. And it's like, oh, I told him, you know, run through the run through the, you know, that blitz is designed for him to run through the A gap. You know, sometimes players just, you know, they're high school kids. Sometimes they make a mistake and they don't want to make a mistake. I still have yet to meet a kid that goes out on the field. And goes out with the with the purpose and says, you know what, I'm really going to screw this play up today. Mm-hmm. You know, so um, now my quarterback Billy probably won't, and um, and Marcus probably won't agree with me on that. That you know sometimes <laughs> sometimes I get fired up at them, um, you know. But for the most part, I stay pretty calm on the sideline. At least I try to. And then if I'm not, I have our, our old line coach Mike Kemmer, who came down from South Columbia High School in PA his job he always said on the sideline was i would always walk away and start talking into the headset where the kids couldn't see me i'd be like well yo what is he doing oh my god and i'd be yelling into the headset with my hand over my mouth and mike would get on and go uh he'd go coach he goes we'll be fine and you know and then i'd be like all right yeah you're right so i got my little venting out (laughs) on the headsets um you know, but it's just, you know, that's one of the things I learned is, like, these are high school kids, so when we go out and, you know, as offensive guys, we're trying to come up with the perfect play, you know, like we're game planning on Sunday night or whatever it is. Whenever you game plan, um, whether you play Friday nights or Saturdays, you, you're out there trying to create the perfect play script. And sometimes it's, it's just, you know, is, did that kid take the SATs that day? You know, you don't know. I mean, if he does, he might be tired and exhausted. He may not be mentally focused. You know, did it you know, did he have did he fail a class in school, you know, something like that that, you know, might take him off their game that day. And, you know, so anything can happen on any play. So that was one of the things I realized as a defensive coach that helped me on offense was that, you know, there's a lot of really good defensive coaches out there, but their kids still have to execute just like ours.
2: Coach Man, I'm also interested, you know. You kind of hearing, you know, about your guys' league and, and just knowing the, the level of talent that you would face, especially in, you know, those, the, the private leagues in, in Maryland are, are nuts. I mean, the, the mm-hmm. amount of D1 talent that comes out of there and especially like the amount of, you know, to me, like defensive line talent, you know, talk a little bit about every single week or maybe not every single week, but, you know, every single season you're going to be facing like big time game wreckers, you know, guys like Chase Young. And and some of these dudes that go to Ohio State and go to these big time places, and it's like, how are we ever going to be able to move the ball against these guys?
1: Yeah, I think that's where you know when I was at Mead in the public schools, um, we had some big kids. We had um, you know we had um, some some good sized kids, so we used a lot of multiple tight, still shotgun, no huddle, but we were shifting around. We were motioning. We we're trading tight ends. Um, we were in we were in just about every personnel grouping you could think of. We must have dr- driven. You know, defensive coordinators nuts because if there was a formation, motion, and shift, you could think of we did it. Um, um, you know, so we were a little slower paced, no huddle, but you know, we did it. When I got to St. Joe, you know, I looked at the kids, like you said, the 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 war daddies up front that we were going to see on a week in, week out basis, and then you know, like my right tackle when we won the championship was a long stick, long stick mitty on the lacrosse team. You know, like he's not blocking Chase Young for very long. Um, so we had to, we did things that would get the ball out of our quarterback's hands fast. We also uh, did things that, you know, in the RPO game that heavily favored quick throws and, get, and getting the ball out more often than handing it off. Um, so it was, it was things like that that we did. And then we had to adjust obviously because people are going man coverage or, or tracing our number three out of trips. So we'd run a lot of slant. For one year, we ran a lot of slant. We stole it from Coach Murphy up in Rhode Island his bolt concept. And uh, we're, we're making a lot of yards out of that. Next thing you know, we got teams taking that tracer safety in the middle of the field, you know, on the backside of trips and they're doing what I call bombing the bolt. I told the kids, which is they're driving that. As soon as they see that, that slant coming in, they're taking that free safety and he's getting ready to decleat our kid, you know, and we had to come up with an adjustment to that, you know, which, which we call, which shockingly we call it nut bolt and nut. Um, and, um, you know, to kind of mess with them a little bit. But, you know, those were things we had to do. We had to find ways to um, slide protection certain ways, um, to uh, chip our running backs, to um, get the ball out faster. Widen out our splits was a big thing when we played really athletic defensive ends. Believe it or not, we put the kids out wider and tried to put the defensive ends on island. So it took them a little bit longer to get there, um, you know. and um, you know, I coached the offensive line, so we just tried to be very fundamentally sound, um, and we tried to be very physical. Um, I told the kids, look, we may not be as we may not be as talented as some of those guys, but we're going to knock some heads. And you know, we tried to be very physical up front as well. You know, if we had free hitters and pass protection, I I gave kids minuses on film if they didn't go find somebody and knock them on the ground. So, you know, we tried to do things like that. We did uh, luckily playing for Coach Spence. Um, I got a good background in the screen game. So we ran just about every screen you could think of, um, you know, uh, to try to slow people down. Um, and we did some unconventional things. We did, um, you know, if I saw a trick play a coach ran, like, you know, Coach Malzahn's fight song, you know, we did that. And it was pretty successful for us. You know, we ran um, our, our best third, third down play was we put trips to the field. We put our running back to the field like it was going to be some type of uh, RPO you know, inside zone trips RPO that we do. And we direct snap to the running back with the quarterback leading outside zone into the boundary. And we crack back on the near linebacker with the, with the split into the boundary and lead the lead the quarterback on the corner and try to pick up two yards. You know, so we, we would just do stuff like that. Like, you know, we, you know, that, um, you know, instead of a quarterback sneak, our quarterback would walk off the field and he'd be yelling at me, Coach, what's the play? What's the play? I'd be like, I told you to play. I told you to play. And next thing you know, our running back's running up under center and taking a direct snap on quarterback sneak. You know, so just things like that to try to catch him off guard, um, to try to level the playing field a little bit.
0: Now, are, are those some of those trick plays? Are those things that you guys work all year or are those things that you put in for that specific game?
1: Um, I think we have a little – most of those are things that we work. Like, if you grab one of our kids and you, and you ask them, like, what's Arnold? They'll know what Arnold is. It's a um, oh, bunch of trips to the field, and it's sprint out. The inside guy falls down. I tell him he's got to be a bad actor, like Arnold Schwarzenegger. That's how play got named. And he's got <laughs> to trip, <and fall> <laughs> trip and fall down. It's the old tight end throwback, you know, off the sprint out pass. Yeah. Um, you know, we stole the old Boise play, you know, the fake bubble screen handed off behind your back, Statue of Liberty. And we put a whole series in off of that. So they know that that's Boise, Auburn and Utah, Boise, Auburn and Utah. Um, so, you know, we just we have some things that have traditionally worked very well and we just kind of stick with it. And, you know, teams sometimes know it's coming, but, you know, they still have to they still have to, the coaches know it's coming. The kids don't. So, you know, sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't. But, um, you know, more often than not, we're finding ourselves with with success doing that stuff.
0: I love that idea. That's, that's kind of what I was curious about was, you know, uh, there's some guys and, and there's basically two, uh, probably two ways to think about it, but there's some guys that, you know, they want to save what they call a trick play, you know, for one time in the year against that one good team and they throw it out there and, and, you know, roll with it. And then there's, I think you see a lot of teams like the on teams that they have, you know, you would call trick plays, but you know, that might be in their game plan every single week. It's not, you know, a one and done trick play. It's something that you could see, you know, every other week or so. And, and it's not something they're trying to hide or keep. It's something that a defense actually has to prepare for because it's something that, that they carry these three or four trick plays into every game. And then, obviously, they can always have a, a special trick play, uh, you know, designed for a certain defense.
1: Yeah, I think you do stuff like that. And it's nice because once the kids know it, like, fight song, we only run it on pregame. You know, the kids know we hit the 30-yard line, fight song could come. You know, we hit the 20-yard line, we might go circus. Uh, we hit the 10-yard line, it could be like, old BYU ninja formation, you know. so they know that certain things could come at certain times. Two-point conversion plays Utah, Boise, Oregon, you know. Um, so they know those things could happen. Um, and we only have to practice them on Fridays because the kids know what they are. Uh, we do have some trick plays that we throw in week by week. And we always um, – I stole this from another high school coach. We always name it after the opposing head coach. so um, The kids all think it's funny. And then we'll do some fun <laughs> stuff. Like uh, we got this thing uh, I stole from Coach Zacharelli down at Westlake was scattered. The first time we did it, uh, people in the stands thought we were crazy because I told the kids, line up wherever you want, you know, and they're like, what? And I said, I don't care what you do. So we had one kid standing in his receiver stance on the sideline facing the opposite team's sideline. We had another kid – laying on his stomach we had another kid like you know there were two kids were kneeling down building a pyramid and then the quarterback yells shift and they all run into their formation and snap it really quick you know so we did we do creative stuff like that to you know let the kids have fun with it but you know also it wasn't stuff that we had to pack much because we ran it once and if it worked great it didn't. we never called it again
2: coach man i gotta ask you know so you're a- I love it. Big trick, uh, trick play guy, you know, aggressive play calling, run the spread. So, um, you know, Harper and I always go back and forth on this one. You're backed up. You're on your own one yard line. Right. <laughs> what is your philosophy? Like, I'm going to run a sneak and quote, get a little bit of space. or you want of these guys? Screw it. We're dropping back and we're launching the thing.
1: Oh, man. I'm glad you asked that, because you can I can honestly bring every single player that's ever played for me on here. And they'll tell you we're running the play. And that's it. That's all the kids know it. We're, we're on our own one, two, or three yard line. First thing we're doing is we're running the play. We're getting in um, some version of a pistol set with a tight end. We're running some type of hard inside zone fake and we're throwing the skinny post over the top and trying to, try to go 99 on the first play.
2: <laughs> I love it. All right. Uh-huh. I knew it. I knew it, Harper. I knew he was going to say that. So <laughs> I'm already a fan. I'm already a fan. Already a fan.
1: So it works out good sometimes, sometimes it doesn't, you know, but it's, it's, um, I don't know. It's, uh, it's just something that we do and we, you know, the kids buy into and they, you know, we get out on the field and like we put the ball on Fridays on the one yard line. And all the kids are jogging on the field going, the play, the play. So,
0: <laughs> well, that's the best part about it, I think. I mean, it's a, it's a whole mindset for your team that you guys are going to go after it. I mean, hey, it doesn't matter, guys, where we are. We're, we're, we're you know, we're always going in. All right, we're never we're never going out. The ball's always going in. It's the 99 going in, but well, ball's going in, and so I, I think it just permeates through your whole team.
1: Yeah, I I think you're right. I think when you're aggressive, and um you know mo- you know a lot of times you'll see teams when they get backed up like that, they'll get really conservative and they'll try not to make a mistake. And we're just gonna let. I told the kids we're gonna let it hang out there. You know, if we make a mistake, we make a mistake. We'll live it. We'll live and move it, You know, live and move on with it. Um, you know, kind of like, which I have a lot of respect for with Coach Kelly down in Arkansas with going for it on fourth fourth down, no matter where. I remember I met with him and he goes, you know, he showed me film. He goes, all right, it's fourth and 25 on my own five yard line. What would you do? I said, I'd be punting. He goes, I'm going for it. He shows me film of them going to the house with it. And I'm like, yeah, I don't know if I'm that aggressive. <laughs>
2: but- I just like, I mean, I love the, like you said, the, the mentality though. I mean, for me, if I'm on the one yard line, you know, what good is it for me to get it to second and nine? You know, what, what good is it? What good is it for me to have, you know, I've basically just wasted a play. I mean, I always go back like in baseball, like I hate bunting, you know, I'm, I'm giving them an out. I'm not, I'm not letting, you know, the pitcher have to pitch to us. Maybe he throws a wild pitcher, you know, maybe I mean whatever it is, but I'm like, I have three bullets in my gun. I'm on the one yard line. I'm going to launch all those things or have plays, you know, that's going to get me out of there instead of, you know, the quote, you know, quarterback sneak. I've, I've just never really had that. And and I completely agree with you, man. I mean, it's like, you know, I, I don't know if I'd go for it on fourth and 25, but I mean, I'm, I'm a hundred percent with you. It is who you are, right. You talk about being the coach who you are. Let's coach that way. Let's, let's let the kids live that way too.
1: Yeah, I agree. And yeah, I couldn't go for it on fourth and 25 like that either. I'd be, I'd be panicked. I mean, I'd, I'd be thinking about all the parents screaming at me, telling me what an idiot I am. Um, but, um, you know, we, um, you know, we're, that's just who we are. Like you said, we're aggressive. We're going to go for it. Um, you know, and I think it what it ends up doing is it, it, your kids have fun with it. And that's, you know, I've heard a lot of coaches talk about this and they're right is, is that ultimately these are high school kids and they need to have fun too. You know, they're not college kids on scholarship. They're not professionals. They need to, have fun. You need to lighten it up for them a little bit at practice from time to time here and there. And um, I think one of the ways you can do that is, you know, doing stuff like that, you know, having things like the play, running fights on, um, you know, uh, running some double reverse stuff or something like that, that's going to get them fired up. And also like when you're, when you're a team that's uh, maybe behind a little bit coming into the game, um, you know, um, a couple of years back for in the playoffs, we're playing this team is supposed to be, they I mean, it's their State Championship. They've wrapped it up. They already beat us 41 to 6 in the regular season. You know, first play of the game, we came out, and my assistant, my assistant coach, who um, was up on the headphones, he's now a head coach himself, goes, do you really want to do this? And we ran, a, we ran like a, a double throwback pass to the quarterback to open the game, and, you know, we got lucky. It almost got intercepted and taken to the house, but we caught it and took it the other way. And, you know, he was before, I was like, what do we got to lose? They beat us 41 to 6. You know, what's going to happen? They're going to be this 41 to six again. So let's just go for it, you know? Um, so that's kind of like the philosophy I've always taken. And I think the kids have fun with it and they, they kind of own the identity.
2: Coach, then I got to ask too, you know, being an offensive line guy as well, you know, and, and kind of, you know, being yourself and being the go for it guy, you know, what are some things that you kind of do, you know, with that group? Yeah, that might be a little bit different, or some things to have fun, you know, to to kind of keep, you know, the, obviously the the camaraderie of that, but also kind of giving them that, you know, hey, that extra edge, you know, that mentality, and and let's make this a position that's not always glamorous, but make it the most fun you can possibly make it.
1: Yeah, so um, you know, we got our routines that we do every day. Like I'm a big believer in what Coach Flood taught taught me. So we're doing our line drills every day, just like you see on his cool clinic tapes with the embrace and. Brace and you know hitting targets like we do the we we warm up with the you know with, with the uh fitting the fit drills and and then we go through our get our boards out and we go down the boards and then we work our double teams and that just like you know you can get his uh cool clinic tape from Rutgers or his Alabama clinic tape um and I still do exactly what he does um but one thing I'll do to keep it fun is you know with inside drill is we don't take that drill too seriously like myself and the D line coach at St. Joe I mean we had a blast with that drill. You know, we we'd get a we'd rip a 10-yard run and I'd be running down the field screaming touchdown and he'd be like, "Oh, you guys held again." Just the beaters, you know, and they'd stop us and I'd be like, "Well, you guys know the play." And we'd have a good, you know, good time and you know, he had his whistle and he'd be throwing flags at us and I'd pick the flag up, run over, put it back in his pocket, you know. so um, we had a good time with it that way, but then we also um one thing the kids enjoyed was um, we would take the o-line and we would um, let them on uh, for warm-ups on pregame. practice on um, it would be if you're playing on friday it'd be your thursday practice or like in the private schools we played a lot on saturday so it'd be our friday practice and while the skill guys were warming up doing their thing we wouldn't do the line drills or board drills or anything we'd actually take the line over and we'd play uh, touch football you know across the back of the end zone you know and um, we divide them up and the D line will play the O line and touch football and have a good time. So it was just things like that to keep it, to, you know, get our work done, be business-like, but also let them have some fun and, and kind of talk and, and talk trash a little bit and have some fun with it during practice.
0: Well, coach, this is uh, this has been, you know, an awesome hour, uh, and, and don't want to keep you too long, but, but, you know, <laughs> the one thing I always like to ask guys before we do let them go is when you're watching another team's offensive line, What's some things they'd be doing that would make you think highly? Other offensive line coach.
1: Um, I always look at um, when they're when they're playing. Number one, I want to see um, you know how they're doing. You know, because offensive line play is so fluid based on technique. You know, I want to see um, what their steps look like. I'm always looking to see what how that works. I'm always looking to see you know how how are they handling where are their hands you know are they constantly having to replace their hands inside or are they hitting their targets um you know pass protection i'm looking at um you know where their shoes are you know in relationship to the defender where they're keeping their nose on the target um the other thing i really like to look at too is is how aggressive are they you know because if they're if if um if their offensive line coach is really getting after it and doing a great job you know a lot of us are very good teachers and we're teaching some good stuff in the high school level um you know but i also like to see the the line coaches who figure out a way to to teach the technical side of it but also keep their kids real aggressive um and that's yeah i think i don't you guys probably i don't know if you guys agree with me or not but the fine line between paralysis by analysis where you're teaching them the steps you're teaching them the targets but at the same time you're teaching them to just go kick the crap out of somebody too you know um and you don't want to like sabotage them where they're so worried about their technique or their hand placement or their head placement that they're coming off the blows the ball's tentative and slow
2: i i couldn't agree more man i think especially with that position and, and you know I'm coaching receivers now it's the same thing you know you talk <laughs> talk releases and, and crap like that you know they just leave them there instead it's it, you know give them a few things to remember, but at the end of the day, you know, have your kind of your, almost like your standards of play, dude, I want you to play as fast as you possibly can. And, you know, the technique might be a little bit off, but guess what? You're going to roast people or or you're going to kill people up front. Everything's going to take care of itself.
1: Yeah. I think, you know, as a, as a coach, as a line coach, you can tell, you can look at somebody and you could see when they're pretty well coached as opposed to when they're not um, by their, by obviously by their steps, by their hand placement, by their head placement, um, by how they're coming off on the double teams and things like that, you know, whether they're passing things off. If they, you know, if they, one thing that I always see with offensive line, if an offensive line can run inside zone into a, into a twist and pick it up, they're pretty well coached. Uh, because mm-hmm. I know even at the college level, that was something that we, you know, from, you know, unless you practiced it, you'd struggle with that. Like we saw some, when you see a team that has an offensive line that is really well coached they come through inside zone, outside zone, whatever it might be. And they're passing that twist off and still getting up to the linebacker. I'm like, that's pretty, that's pretty damn good coach.
2: Coach man, it's been an absolute man, blast. So I know, uh, you know, and listen to hear you talk, you talk about, you know, coach flood, he's, he's headed down to Texas. So I, I got to get a little shot in here. Cause you know, coach Harper's still down in Oklahoma. <laughs> you know, I, I would, I would imagine to you know, thinking that with coach flood going to Texas, maybe now they kind of, you know, get that that old line fixed and start running the ball a little bit more in the big 12.
1: Yeah, I, I hope. I mean, I don't know. I'm biased. I played for him, and you know, we still stay in touch. So, if I, in my opinion, if anyone could do it, it's him. Um, you know, so um, I'm rooting for him. Uh, you know, and then uh, you know, I, I'm I'm I really think they're gonna do a good job down there, and they're gonna get it going. And Texas will be on the map. You know, but Oklahoma is an outstanding team too. Like Coach Riley's just, uh, I mean, his thinking's on another level. Sometimes you know, you're watching him, and I'm like, yep, stealing that one. <laughs>
2: Well, again, coach, thanks, man. This has been an absolute blast. Uh, I also kind of go back to, you know, what you would said about, you know, moving, moving jobs and, and getting closer to home. I mean, that was one of the reasons why, you know, we ended up moving too. I remember just distinctly sitting there, you know, thinking about how much of my life I'm wasting away sitting in a vehicle, you know, and, and having to drive yeah. 30, 30 minutes each way. You know, I, I told my wife. Like, Hey, you know, if we move a little bit closer, that's going to be, you know, 40 minutes a day that I'm, I'm home, you know, and I know that's going to be valuable time for you to be able to spend it with your wife and kids. So best of luck to you coach in the new job.
1: Thanks. I appreciate it. Yeah. It's going to be, um, you know, it's going to be fun. The kids are great down here. Um, you know, my kids are in the community anyway, playing little league wrestling and things like that. So, you know, it's going to be, it's going to be fun to be involved in the, com- you know, in the community I'm actually in and, you know, um, you know, not driving an hour and a half each way to work is awesome. Pretty awesome. <laughs> awesome. So, also.
0: <laughs> and that's going to do it for this episode of RTP. We want to, again, thank all of our sponsors. You guys make sure and go check them out. Help grow our community by telling other coaches about Run the Power. And if you enjoy Running the Power, go get your shirt, long sleeve, or hoodie at runthepower.com. Also, if you have any topics or any questions you would like for us to discuss in the next podcast, simply rate our podcast and then leave a comment in the writer review section of the podcast app. This will help our podcast rating as well as it will allow us to answer the questions you all want answered. Make sure and go check out our blog at runthepower.com. Follow me on Twitter at Harper underscore Coach and Coach Walls at Coach Brady Walls. Run the Power now also has its own Twitter and Instagram and you can find that at runthepower. Hope you guys enjoyed this one. Talk to you soon.